0: We may not be rock stars in a rock band, but we code, we solve problems, we make things for others, we fix things, we build, we innovate. So we're trying to take that and do something positive in this difficult time.
1: Hey everybody, this week's episode is brought to you by Couchbase, Couchbase is an open source NoSQL document and key value store database. It requires no external cache, supports SQL and analytic queries for JSON data, and Couchbase supports technologies like Kubernetes, Java, .NET, JavaScript, Go, and Python. Download it today at couchbase.com/stackoverflow and let them know we sent you. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. I am your host Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow. And I'm here with my wonderful co host Say hi, everybody. Hello. Hi, everybody. Sarah, we have some great guests this week. You want to introduce them real quick, and then we can dive into some yeah, conversation. Yeah, great.
2: So this week, joining us, we have Jeff Fritz, who's a senior program manager of .NET community, Microsoft, also an amazing streamer on Twitch, which we'll talk about a little bit, and Claire Novotny, who is also a senior program manager at Microsoft and executive director of the .NET Foundation. We've been working together over the past two months or so, putting together a conference to raise money for direct relief for people affected by COVID called Dev Around the Sun. So excited to have them on today to talk a little bit about that.
1: And Jeff is wearing a Nostromo hat, which you can't see on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure that was the ship from Alien. Whoa, cool.
3: Yeah, that's right. Lieutenant Ripley. So yes,
1: so yeah. Let's talk about .NET. I'll let Sarah and Paul take the lead from here, but I know that's something we use a lot at Stack Overflow, and then obviously, Sarah, you're involved at the foundation. So, kick it off.
2: Yeah. So .NET. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, why don't. You all know what .NET
4: uh, is, and you spend time in it, whereas I do not. I'm a very Unixy guy when I'm programming, which is not often anymore. So, tell the audience who doesn't spend time in .NET what .NET actually is, and then why does it need a foundation? Let's let's go to Claire cuz I think it's obvious both of you could answer this question. So let's start with Claire.
0: Sure, thanks Paul. So .NET is Microsoft's cross-platform developer platform for writing applications. It was coming up on 20 years old now. It's been around for quite a while, but it has followed the Microsoft open source journey and that's something that started I want to say in 2008 if I remember correctly or there around with some of the early ASP.NET MVC libraries. ASP.NET MVC is a way of writing websites that was very popular, and it was one of the earliest Microsoft projects to be open source and done open first with the community. Over time, that evolved, and as Microsoft learned how to do open source, it became apparent that it needed to have a foundation, a way, an entity, that was not Microsoft, that was separate, that could help hold the intellectual property, that could help foster the growth and ecosystem of the community so that it could expand and really serve the needs of all of its core constituents. And thus the foundation itself was born in late 2014 under the auspices of Martin Woodward.
4: Tell us... Because I know there's a lot of big open source foundations. There's Apache, and and of course now that I've said that I, I, I've run <laughs> out apache. of There's
2: Apache. There's Apache. A, there's there's apache. cloud native. There's Linux. Uh, apache yeah, open
4: OpenJS. Ac- yeah, I mean my guy cloud native. Like actually now that I'm saying it, I'm like I'm seeing enormous Linux
2: foundation. Yeah.
4: Yeah. There's these charts of eight million products. Like I don't think if you're Not looking at this world, you might realize how many thousands of projects are actually being managed under the auspices of 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 these orgs, right? So, what do foundations like this kind of do all day? You know, where where like you know, I've made a nice .NET component library. I'd like to open source it. It has a cool timeline function. What can the .NET Foundation sort of do for me, and what does it do for the community?
0: The the primary aspect of the foundation is really some of the back office functionality that most developers don't tend to think about. Things like contributor license agreements to make sure that the code that's checked in or contributed by the community has its license assigned properly so that you don't have issues after the fact that could scare off other customers. Removing that fear and uncertainty and doubt is a key component of what these foundations do and legitimizing and and showing that these projects aren't just throwaway things, but are core pieces of infrastructure that companies and other people can rely upon. And having a solid foundation is key to any building project. So that's where the foundation spends a fair bit of its time.
1: So is the foundation like the neutral party that sits in between you know, the public community, the corporation that might be heavily invested, and then, you know, sort of this agnostic leadership group that can help to to, to make sure those two things see eye to eye or diffuse tensions where they exist, or, you know, potentially between, let's say, like, right, a, a company that is a heavy owner and contributor and another company that wants to get involved but is you know, dubious of doing that with you know something that is kind of owned in part by a competitor.
0: Yes, exactly. So the .NET Foundation is that neutral middle ground and can help facilitate and broker various things between organizations. So you may have a lot of skepticism that hey, if I'm Google or if I'm Amazon or I'm JetBrains and we want to contribute and participate with .NET, they might be a little leery if the project is owned by Microsoft, which they are competitors. But you know, when .NET is out there and owned by, and I don't want to say controlled by, the .NET Foundation does not tell its projects how to operate, but when the foundation is the custody of these projects, the other companies can come in and feel comfortable that they're not about to have the rug pulled out from under them. There is quite literally no way Microsoft can take .NET, close it back up, and tell everyone to go you know in some other direction if that were to happen and I don't see any way that that could people can take the code that's there fork it and build it again I mean all of the tooling is there it self hosts it builds and it's out there for the public it truly is a public project and the foundation is there to ensure that it stays that way You
4: know, when I I used to be a magazine editor and people would think that was – some people, not everybody. Some people would be like, that's kind of a cool job. And I had to explain to them that while a lot of my job was, you know, shaping stories and and working with writers and taking people out to coffee – the most important function I had was minimizing litigation risk, right? Like making sure that no one was writing anything that was going to get everybody sued and destroy the magazine. That was absolutely the number one thing I could do on a day-to-day basis. And that's middle management. Like middle management is standing between the world and and people who are making things and going like, well, now hold on a minute. And it's, it's an incredibly important function. And it's something that open source traditionally was never able to provide for itself, which I think is why these foundations have such an important role and why they keep growing and growing because, like, that middle layer has to be there for everything to interact in a... Like... I've been in licensing conversations that I literally feel like my eyeballs are going to just explode out of my head. Like I I just – there's a certain point – I have a very high tolerance for boring stuff. I mean, I I was an engineer. But my God, licensing conversations can take it out of a person. But it's got to happen because a giant org can't, you know, pick up and work with these materials unless it knows it has assurances that one day a lawsuit won't land at random. It's
2: scary. Jeff, uh, you also work with .NET and you do some really cool things getting the community involved and interested in more streaming online. Can you talk a little bit about what you do what your goatee colors have to do with it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and what kind of fun y'all have with streaming online.
3: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. That that just opened a can of worms here that I need to get into. (laughs) So here's the thing, right? With .NET now being open source, running on Windows, Mac, and Linux, there is a community of folks out there that are Microsoft first, use Windows, use .NET, use Visual Studio, and they know everything that's going on and they're keeping track of everything happening around our .net ecosystem and that's tremendous. Those are fantastic folks. But what about those other folks that are out there that are using Mac and Linux and they prefer to write code in Vim or they're they're not engaged with that .net ecosystem. How do how do we share and show them the, those folks, how cool all this really great stuff is that's been built and that we have our ecosystem able to launch and interact with. So I was looking at starting a podcast. To be perfectly frank, I was looking at starting a podcast back in October 2017. And some folks said to me, you've got the talent to do this type of thing. And and it, what struck me about about podcasts was I wanted to be a little bit more interactive. I I crave I'm, I'm one of those people who loves being on stage, giving a presentation and seeing seeing the audience's eyes light up when they go, oh, my gosh, Fritz just solved a problem for me. I'm going to go back to the office on Monday and everybody's going to love what I just learned how to do. And I couldn't get that interaction doing a deep technical conversation as a podcast. So some friends showed me, well, why don't you try live streaming on Twitch? Right? You could record a YouTube video, but you don't get any interaction. If you live stream, you can talk to a chat room and get that immediate feedback. I tried it over Thanksgiving weekend, and I was hooked. Writing code live on Twitch and putting it out there, not as, hey, check out Windows and .NET and this, but check out open source C Sharp. We're going to build a web application using open source technologies. And folks would come in and ask, well, this looks like C Sharp. How are you doing this? not on Windows. How are you getting outside of and showing here's all the cool things we can do, whether it's interact with artificial intelligence, it's it's building on a Mac, it's working on a Chromebook, it's working with Vim and Linux, and and working at a command line outside of Visual Studio and doing these really cool productive things, we've we've now opened the gates and folks are able to come in and see that they can be more productive with this tremendous framework that just works everywhere and those interactions that we can have with a chat room become the engaging types of discussions that folks love to have at a conference. That that hallway track where you finish seeing a, a Sarah Chips give a great presentation and you want to talk about it to the other folks that were just outside. Oh my gosh, Sarah told us about this. And there's a really cool that hallway track, being able to encourage that and have those deep conversations just lit me up. And it got me so excited. And and I'm just so engaged with this whole medium of live streaming, writing code with folks out on Twitch.
2: What type of coder are you? Have you practiced at home before you, you know, like if you're working with a new technology, have you done it a bunch and you're super comfortable before you're coding in front of folks? Or are you sitting there kind of troubleshooting out loud, figuring out why stuff isn't working? What does that look like?
3: I've tried to do it both ways. Yeah. So when, when, when you come in and you're super polished and, hey, let me show you, we're going to build a really cool website today, friends. People are like, oh, my gosh. OK, yeah, I really learned something. But there's also when you come in and you're like, you know what? I don't know how we're going to solve this problem. I'm not quite sure where the rough edges are on this. And you actually spend that time debugging and learning it together. Folks actually learn a lot more when they see you make mistakes, when they see you write bugs, and they follow your debugging process. How do you solve those problems? Where do you go for advice? How do you query Stack Overflow so you get the appropriate answer you're looking for? Yes, I've been live streaming and, oh, this doesn't work. Let me go query Stack Overflow because somebody's got to have an answer. I've done that. More than my fair share of times. I was going to try and count on my fingers, but I can't. It's too high a number. It happens. And that's what's so impressive and important about when you live stream this type of interaction because it's not polished. It makes you more relatable, right? You aren't that finely polished person that's giving a keynote presentation in a half an hour and everything works perfectly. No. Nobody nobody is in real life, but when you can be real, you can be relatable, there's a connection there that happens with your audience that creates more than just respect, but it creates a community. It creates an intimate connection there.
1: What would you say? Like, is the genre that you fall under on Twitch? Like, where do people come and find you? Because I know there's been other sort of IRL categories. One that comes to mind that's kind of like this: is people often do art, and so they show, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I'm painting like this, but sometimes I make a mistake. I go back. This is my process. I'm a comic book artist mm-hmm. or whatever. And you know, I think what you're describing is even app, you know, applicable to sort of video games, which is like sometimes people come on and they're like, I'm a pro. This is what a pro looks like, or I'm doing a speed run. This is how you beat the whole game in 20 minutes. But often. It's the best and most popular times are when, like, the streamer is opening up a game they've never played before and trying to figure it out and, like, struggling and the audience is giving them suggestions and, you know, they're failing and they're trying again and then they have a breakthrough and that's what's exciting for everybody, right? So what, like, genre or, like, area does Twitch classify you? How do people find you on Twitch? So
3: where we were was in that creative space, right? There was a creative community that you would find folks in this live coding genre working. Twitch has reorganized things a little bit here. It, it was cool to be next to some of those people that were painting and doing all kinds of different crafts, but you'll find us now in what they call the science and technology category.
1: Yes. Okay. That makes sense. I, I once hosted an international robotics competition, and we were in that category. It was pretty fun. There's a lot of cool stuff in there when it comes to, like, engineering and lab experiments and robot battles and things of that. Oh, and, and
3: you'll see a game jam happening, and dozens of channels light up, and they've all got the same game jam title. And it's people building all their games at the same time over the weekend. And you watch the category page, and you can see all these people building games completely isolated from each other. And, and the progress they make is just oh, so okay. cool. impressive.
2: And I brought it up. So what does your goatee color have to do with it?
3: <laughs> oh, man. Okay. They do a thing. A lot of folks on Twitch do this where they'll, they'll put out some kind of a challenge. Hey, help me reach X number of followers. It'd be great if we had this level of support of the channel. We had this level of engagement. And a lot of gamers, a lot of folks do this. And I set out one about a year and a half ago that said, Hey, it'd be great if we got X number of followers before before build. And we got there. But in in part of that, people were saying, Well, what are you gonna do when you get there? What's so what if we get to five thousand or whatever the number was? What what does that look like? What are you gonna do first? I'm like, I, I don't know, you know. Somebody wrote back and said, Well, why don't you dye your, your beard rainbow? I said, Who would who would have a rainbow? what is that are you kidding and my twitter was filled with pictures of gentlemen with finely groomed rainbow (laughs) goatees and and full beards i'm talking zz top quality beards like and and it looks like a test pattern you'd see on tv i'm like oh my gosh are you kidding (laughs) i need to do that and i agreed to it i said we've all right we'll do this and (laughs) Sure enough, they helped me. My community helped me reach that goal. And I only had three colors the first time I did it. So I was blue, orange and purple the first time. And after my colleagues at Microsoft saw it, they said, well, we're going to do this Visual Studio 2019 launch coming up. Could you dye it purple like Visual Studio purple? I'm like,
0: are you kidding? You opened yourself up to it. Right, dude. Yeah.
3: What you think? I just do this yeah. for cheap laughs. Live the brand. Of course I will, and I That's right. d- did my beard purple for the visual Studio launch.
1: Did they send you the like you know br- the
3: company approved brand purple, or did they let you go with your own best? Oh guess? no, I went down to Ulta, and I'm wandering through saying where can I find purple hairspray so I can make this a thing. And came back, and I had a purple beard. A few months later, we said it, the folks said, well, we're going to help you get to the next goal. Will you do the beard rainbow again? I'm like, all right, we'll do it rainbow. And sure enough, we hit that goal. And for an event in Las Vegas, I had full rainbow beard. Now, when you have a rainbow beard in Las Vegas and you're walking around a Las Vegas casino, <laughs> it might come as a shock to some people. They don't care. People there are like, oh, yeah, okay. Then I had a conference in Stockholm, Sweden, say, well, we do a thing where everything is highlighted in the color pink. If we help you get X number of whatever, will you dye your beard pink? I'm like, that's a whole nother level. Just solid pink beard. You're on. If you can get there, sure, we'll do it. And Sure enough. A few weeks later, I'm walking around Sweden, my first time in Sweden, and I've got a pink beard. So this has become a thing. People keep asking me, are you going to do a green beard? Well, I do a green screen thing, so it would make my face disappear if I did that. But this has become part of my gimmick is Fritz with the rainbow, multicolored, technicolor beard.
4: So look, I mean, I'm looking at the .NET Foundation webpage as we speak. What a, what, a, what a thrill, right? And I'm, But there is a ton of stuff here. The projects are very, very foundational to a lot of the work that people do in Windows today. Also, I just want to say, like, I've complained about Microsoft many times in the past, but boy, do they do good documentation. Man, you click on Microsoft Docs and you're like, I guess I know what I'm doing now. Anyway, what are the big projects? What are the things that the, the 10 trillion nerds listening to this podcast should go check out and learn about that .NET Foundation puts out? And maybe they already know some of the big ones and like sort of what are some of the projects where, that you've seen? And let me, let me throw it back over to you, Claire, that have made you go like, wow, cool.
0: So I'll say that the biggest changes have come over the past year to 18 months where the foundation started as an appointed board with three people and Microsoft really chose them even though it was a separate organization. About 18 months ago, work was done to restructure the foundation and make it an open membership. So to interested parties, people who are open source.net developers can apply and it's a very low bar just to join. I mean, are you participating in the .NET open source ecosystem really is the bar and we you know whether that's a pull request to documentation or maintaining a major project it's all good so the members vote on the board of directors of which Sarah is one of our board members and the board is comprised of seven people and really set the direction of the foundation. So this is really about ensuring community control so that it is not a any one company running the ship here. And for the community, what I can suggest is the more that you all can participate in the foundation, the more the foundation can do for the community. So the foundation has a lot of things that we're trying to do, for example, in the outreach space, which Sarah Chips leads up the outreach committee, we're trying to reach that next generation of developers, whether it's students, whether it's folks who are changing careers, whether it's folks who are just looking for some new cool project. We want everyone to enjoy and try and like .NET the way we do. So there's some efforts underway there, but we can't do it alone. There's one of me, the board all has full-time jobs and volunteer on this. And we really are dependent on the community to come in and join us at these meetings. And it's published on our website and volunteer to help out. And that's the way we do more things.
4: What kind of, I mean, what are some of the products, like if I'm connecting to this, what are the big projects that people are are most connected to? Like what are the, what are the big sort of signpost.net foundation efforts?
0: I will say this here preview of coming attractions, Mm -hmm. check out staging.net foundation.org and then check out our new projects page. So I'm pleased to say that we have a updated website that is preparing to launch, hopefully mid to late this week. And One of the key things we found was that people found navigating our website challenging in terms Mm -hmm. of finding out how do you join, how do you participate, what are the projects Mm. we have, are all excellent questions and we were not doing a terrific job of surfacing that. So the new website does a better Mm -hmm. job of highlighting this information. So some of the core projects that are in there to answer your question, certainly everybody hopefully knows the microsoft.net framework and ASP.NET Core and Entity Framework, but those are just the Microsoft things. You have community-led projects like Identity Server, which are handle identity and authentication for OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect kinds of things. You have the Windows Community Toolkit, which provides support for Windows desktop applications in widgets there. You have applications from across the board, really. NuGet Trends is an interesting one. There's a couple of folks who are putting together statistics and data to try and say, hey, is my NuGet package being downloaded and by how much? And like put this and chart this over time. Mm. So this is something that many library authors have wanted to know, but the NuGet website doesn't directly expose this. So the community has stepped in to fill a gap there.
4: And actually, we should tell people, what is NuGet? for those who aren't in this part of the universe?
0: So NuGet is Microsoft's, or I should say, it's .NET's package manager, really. So you have NPM in the node world, you have you know, Ruby and its gems and, and such. NuGet packages are the way that libraries move around to the community. And they have private feeds and public feeds. So it works for enterprise inner source. So if you have a bunch of shared framework libraries that your company needs to do whatever it is your application needs. You can publish that and you can use like GitHub package registry or you can use Azure Artifacts, MyGet. There's a whole set of package managers that support this that work for both public and private scenarios.
4: And if you go to NuGet.org, you'll see there have been 45 billion package oh. downloads. So it's just a, a nice reminder of the scale that we're dealing with
1: here. Yeah. There's a few people using it, a few people using it. So, Sarah, I know you've been working on something for a while that I think involves the .NET Foundation as well as a number of other great technologists. You want to talk a little bit about Dev Around the Sun before we wrap up this episode?
2: Yeah. Claire reached out to me about two months ago, a month and a half ago, about this project. Dev Around the Sun is a conference that is happening online, May 12th, UTC, and it is all about raising money for Direct Relief, which is a nonprofit that is focused on getting relief funds to the folks that are most affected by the COVID-19 crisis. This has been a really neat process, working with Claire and Jeff and a bunch of other folks on getting an online conference together. It's something that I've never done before, and it's really neat to see people who have experience doing this, getting all the important ducks in a row. Really excited about this. Claire and Jeff, do you want to talk a little bit about your experiences and what you're excited about with the conference?
1: Yeah, what are, what are people going to get to see at the conference? What's it going to provide you know, in terms of uh, content?
0: What we've put together here is a conference of hope. This is really developer unity saying, look, we are developers. There's lots of communities. We've been talking about the .NET community here, but there's folks from the Ruby community. There's Java. There's C++. But we all solve similar kinds of problems. We have same kinds of problems that work, both good and bad. And we like to fix things, we like to solve things. So what we came together to do here is get together a top tier of international speakers from all developer communities to put together a set of TEDx style, light, entertaining, informative talks to really um, to raise funds for direct relief, to reconnect as a developer community to show that there's like a, a glimmer of hope out there. We will all get through this. And importantly, that this is something we can do. We may not be rock stars in a rock band, you know, but we code, we solve problems, we make things for others, we fix things, we build, we innovate. And so we're trying to take that and do something positive in this difficult time.
1: I was a little bit disappointed to hear the conference is not being held in Fortnite or Animal Crossing. I but, know, you know, we missed that uh,
0: boat. But it's going to be on
2: time. Twitch. No. Thanks to Jeff. Jeff has been uh, really helpful with that. Jeff, is this your first working with a conference that's hosted on Twitch?
3: No, no, no. I've been running events on on Twitch now for several years. I've been running .NET Conf, producing and helping to manage that conference, right? So .NET Conf, that's our virtual conference that we host every September. It broadcasts live from Microsoft Studios. It's a community-focused conference, all virtual community speakers from all over the world. And since 2018, we've been broadcasting the third day of .NET Conf for 24 hours straight with community speakers dialing in from all over the world. In this past year, we had speakers dial in from every continent. So, that's a place that, okay, we've landed on, we figured out how to make this work. And uh, my stream team that I managed, the, the Live Coders team on Twitch, we have more than 150 different broadcasters that all broadcast on this medium. We came together at the beginning of April, and we ran our own virtual event for 18 hours. We saw a bit of success with that, and we were quite pleased with how quickly we were able to bring together a bunch of folks that can write code and teach
1: so i guess if we're doing this on twitch sarah and we're doing the live podcast on twitch for the first time that means i have to dye my beard rainbow yes. that seems like the only option right really. uh,
2: yeah that i mean i'm i thought i sent you an email about that
1: oh okay cool <laughs> So it looks like we haven't had a new lifeboat in a while. Come on, y'all. Everybody get on it. We crossed 1,000 and then people lost their steam. So instead, Paul, can you find an interesting question for me about .NET on Stack Overflow we can read?
4: Well, okay. So first of all, .NET on Stack Overflow, very well-represented framework. 295,000 questions. You know, now you're getting into like, javascript territory which i think is 1, 1. 1.5 million but we're you know forget that I don't, I don't understand numbers that's that's why i'm a, a manager so you know i always like to look at the top questions because it gives you a sense of the kind of language challenges that people are dealing with so when i'm in .NET, i want to know what is a null reference exception and how do i fix it so nulls the curse of every language and framework since the beginning of time also something to think about here, but you know, go read the answer and then you'll understand how to deal with null reference exceptions. And uh, you know, I always like my nils and lists because that, that's a language that actually makes peace with its its null values. Anyway, regardless, index out of range exceptions. How do I update the GUI from another thread? What you see looking at these, these are the big ones. How do I use reflection to call a generic method? Yeah, these are all the modern programming problems. So if you're a modern programmer and you're curious about .NET, you've done any Java or anything moderately big and object-oriented, you're going to find yourself in a very familiar territory. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that, like, yeah, okay, world of nulls. Here we go.
1: All right. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you both for coming on. It was a great conversation and we learned a lot and we are really excited about Dev Around the Sun. That's going to be coming up really soon. You can find more information in the show notes. And of course you can head to devaroundthesun.org to check it out. There's going to be all kinds of amazing talks. There's going to be a live Twitch stream. My beard is going to be rainbow. It's (laughs) not to be missed. So I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow, and you can find me at Ben Popper on Twitter.
2: And I'm Sarah Chips, director of community here at Stack Overflow, and you can find me at Sarah J. Chips on Twitter.
4: I'm Paul Ford, a friend of Stack Overflow, co-founder of a product development firm in New York City called Postlight. You can find me at F-Train on Twitter.
0: I'm uh, Claire R. Novotny on Twitter, and I'm there as long as I'm breathing.
3: My name is Jeff Fritz. I am C Sharp Fritz on Twitter, GitHub, Twitch. You can find me five days a week broadcasting live on Twitch, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, 1400 UTC.
1: All right, everybody. Well, this is going to be fun. We're really excited about the conference and we're really terrified, but excited about doing our first live podcast. So be sure you tune in and check the show notes for more details. Thanks.
4: Bye, everybody.